one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. It reminds us of all that once was good. And the only church that truly feeds the soul day in, day out is the Church of Baseball. White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite. The official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. The latest news and views from players, coaches, and direct from the front office. White Sox Weekly, on the proud new home for Chicago White Sox baseball. WLSEM. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly. Second to last, the penultimate show of the regular season here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We got two hours of White Sox conversation for you here. Set for the White Sox and Indians coming up in just a little while this uh, this afternoon, this evening, depending on where you like to put six ten p.m. But since it's Saturday and people have things to do and busy schedules, we're going to start the show out a little bit differently. We're going to head right out to the phone line. Well, there it is. There's our phone line, and it's. It's empty. It's busy right now. Uh, we are going to try and reacquire one Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports, the lead columnist there at yahoosports.com. Uh, it is a, I don't know, busy signal now, but we'll get things figured out. Our intrepid producer, Don Kleppen, is going to give him a call right back. Anyway, that's how we were going to start the show. In lieu of that, I'll start the show like this. You can get a hold of the show this afternoon, and we're not talking to... Uh, other guests, we do have two of them planned for you this afternoon. Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports is going to come on the show in just a little bit. Dan Hayes of CSNChicago.com, uh, right about 4.30 or so. Dan was part of the uh, the Pitch Talks uh, conversation going on here in Chicago with a bunch of uh, baseball luminaries uh, on the Thursday off. They want to see how that went and talk a little bit about his latest piece on Tim Anderson. Anyway... Here's how you get in touch with the show, 312-591-8900, 312-591-8900 is the phone number. You can also uh, shoot us a Twitter, at C1McKnight. We head back out to the phone lines, and we're joined by the baseball columnist of YahooSports.com and the author of The Arm Inside the Billion Dollar Mystery of the Most Valuable Commodity in Sports, Jeff Passan. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for coming on. Hello, Connor. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. A pleasure to talk with you. Glad uh, we were able to accomplish this. I, I know you spent uh, some time in Rio covering the Olympics. I assume your, your trips were hazard-free and, uh, and a hell of experience. Uh, yeah, I came back without Zika, so I feel like it was a success. <laughs> That's a win. Uh, did not get held up at gunpoint. Uh, did not commit any... Uh, international uh, fraudulence like one uh, American swimmer did. So I'd say that all in all, it was a very productive trip. You could have, just for those, you probably could have stood on a medal stand somewhere, I mean, in, in recognition of those feats. Oh, I, I did. So, I mean, I, I've, been, I've been recognized by multiple <laughs> governing bodies as uh, a paragon of Olympic spirit. So I want to get into uh, into the book. This is absolutely fantastic stuff. It's called The Arm, Inside the Billion Dollar Mystery of the Most Valuable Commodity in Sports. There are cameos from a number of different, uh, actually, Chicago White Sox references kind of in and out. There are, well, really references to a bunch of pitchers throughout the game, and I think we'll probably connect Chris Sale to this book in a little bit. But I want to recommend it to those people who are uh, unfortunately not going to be watching enough playoff baseball for them. If you need to scratch the baseball itch, so to speak. It's a great book to pick up. It can be read on one four-hour drive from Appleton to Chicago, as my dad did. Uh, it's really great. Congratulations on it. Your dad is a quick reader. He's insane. Yeah. He's absolutely... Well, Mom was driving the most of the way, so it wasn't as unsafe as it sounds. 
I, I mean, that's still like, that is a, like, this is not a, a, a book that's, this isn't a pamphlet. Oh, I know. I, mean, I know. Like a, it's like 360 pages strong. This is a man who's buried through a John Adams biography in, uh, I don't know, less than two and a half. He's kind of insane. All right. Well, the, your dad is obviously uh, uh, a talented human being. Sure. And, and you... And and we ended up in the media, so what does that say? It says exactly what we thought it would say. Uh, when we talk about, when I've talked about this book with friends, mechanics and injuries to pitchers and how to prevent them comes up more often than not. And I think uh, maybe the most interesting thing is some of the kind of the preconceived notions that it's busted, maybe about things like the, the inverted W, about things we thought that were unhealthy that may not be as unhealthy as we thought before. Yeah, I mean, if we look at the inverted W, and that is a phrase that I I loathe to begin with because it's an M. First, first off, it's an M. Second off, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, essentially, the whole point of of the inverted W is that a pitcher's arms are turned down uh, and they make an M shape, and this can be a bad thing if if the timing is off for the pitcher and uh, if it puts extra stress and strain on his elbow, but uh, it's also a bit of an optical illusion because the arms are moving so extremely fast that what it looks like one, one fraction of a second, I'm talking 0.001, uh, it's going to look differently the next fraction. And uh, sometimes you just look at snapshots and they're not indicative of a whole lot. I mean, Chris Sale, for years, mm-hmm. uh, if, if you see pictures of him, he's got about as ugly as an inverted W as anybody out there, and yet he has managed to stay healthy. And he's done so with a delivery that, that looks to our naked eyes uh, as violent as it gets. One of the things I thought to talk with Jeff Passanier, author of The Arm and columnist for Yahoo Sports, uh, writing baseball, one of the things that stuck out to me is kind of this, I wouldn't call it a kind of tangent that, that the book went on for just a minute or two about, about your mechanics and what works for you. Your proper mechanical motion is the one that makes you pitch the best or, or, or feels right to you. And I wonder if that's something that's more and more a starting point for young pitchers. Well, I, I'd love to say that there's perfect mechanics out there that's going to keep you healthy. There, there might be. You know, for all we know, Mm -hmm. it's lurking out there. But at this point, when we don't know and don't know how to achieve that, the best you can do is to throw it away that keeps you healthy. And I know that's easy to say because, well, when, you know, who knows when they're going to break down. But the fact is, you know, when your arm does hurt when you're throwing the ball and you know what too much or too little is. And so it has to be that middle calibration uh, that I think we're able to do so much better now than we were uh, even a couple of years ago. One of the things that, that's been most fascinating to me through this White Sox season has been watching Chris Sale pitch. And it's not so much about the mechanics of Sale this season. It's the idea of him pitching with this, what Don Cooper and he have kind of termed this hybrid approach, or at least that's the name they slapped on it so they don't have to keep going back and forth about it with uh, with us. This hybrid approach lets Chris throw to lower velocities. He says it. He's he's feeling a bit better and stronger, deeper into ball games. The pitch numbers, like the total counts of pitches thrown for Chris last year and this year, are are virtually identical. Albeit he's thrown more innings this year so far. 
does that does being able to back off of a hundred percent of max effort mean anything to the health of a pitcher throughout the course of a season? Um, I, you know, I think it can. I uh, and I I advocate for something like that. Frankly, Chris Sale's also uh, a very similar pitcher, though, to what he was back in 2012. Then compared where he was last year, the fastball velocity in 12 was down. I believe that was his first full season as a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, fastball velocity was down. Uh, he threw a lot of sliders. Uh, you know, about a quarter of his pitches. And about, you know, filled in the rest, about 15% with change-ups. And it's a very similar pitch split. Now he's throwing the change-up harder. He's throwing the slider about the same speed, and he's throwing the fastball at about a mile or so uh, per hour harder. But it, it is a definitely a different pitcher. And when you've had as much success as he has, you don't want to screw with what's working. But at the same time, you want to do the best you can to ensure your long-term success. And if he believes that taking a little bit off uh, is going to do that, then uh, you got to leave it up to the pitcher because he knows his arm better than any of us uh, know it. Will you be uh, will you be voting in, uh, in the Cy Young competition, the Cy Young balloting? I do not have a Cy Young vote. Really? And I'm, very, and I'm very glad I don't because I probably would send it in blank because no one deserves it this year <laughs> <laughs> so you're not on the uh, you're not on the zach Britton train you're not uh i am i am i am far from the zach Britton train i'm sorry i think zach Britton. if you give him a fifth place vote uh i can like i can be down with that but uh i'd say if today gun to my head mm-hmm. that's what we're gonna do here on the show Um, I'd probably go Porcello, but you can, you can can make just as good an argument for Kluber and Sale. I think it's, I think it's those three like that, that, that I'm fairly, fairly certain about that. Those are the top three right there. And I, I honestly, like, I'm not doing my awards until like a week from this Monday. So, uh, I I haven't uh, I haven't broken it down completely yet, but I am planning on doing so and, and giving it a good deep dive. What? Uh, I mean, the thing the thing that Sale has going most for him in his favor is is obviously the strikeout to walk ratio, sure. and the fact that in the fact that he has uh, some of the worst framing catchers uh, since we understood what pitch framing is. Like, he- the guys standing behind the plate for him are absolutely terrible. It has been uh, it's been a tough departure from from a guy like Tyler Flowers, who wasn't even mm-hmm. I don't know that you'd necessarily say elite for Tyler. I've read I've read kind of both on, on both sides, not of the you know elite and terrible side, but just of the elite and pretty good to where to where White Sox catchers Deanna Navarro for a little while had been with Chris Sale. You know, that said, you know, talking in a little bit to the offseason uh, with, with Sale and Jose Quintana, theoretically, possibly anything on the table were the words that, uh, that Rick Hahn has used. What are the, the prospects? What are your expectations for, an, for a White Sox offseason coming up in just a couple of weeks here? Tyler Flowers, by the way, is elite. And Alex Avila and Deanna Navarro are like bottom 10 in all of baseball. Right. 
So both both of them together are are really bad. Uh, as far as this off season goes, I you know I have almost stopped trying to predict what the White Sox are going to do because I I don't know if they know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. A lot a lot of it depends on how robust the market for one of the pitchers gets. Uh, they know they're going to get more back for sale than they would Quintana. But a lot of teams out there absolutely love Jose Quintana and think he is so steady and and so consistent and so good that uh, they recognize they're going to have to give up, if not 100% as much sale, then probably 90% on the dollar. And that is still a massive pay. Uh, it, but you know what? If a team wants a frontline starting pitcher, it ain't going to find it on the free agent market. That much can be said for sure. Yeah. So, it, it. I mean, if if your idea of frontline guy is Rich Hill, you know, hey, go do you. Uh, but I think most teams look at a 36 year old who's thrown over 100 innings twice in his entire career and say. Red flag, red flag, what am I going to do here? And that's where the trade market comes into play and where if the White Sox really wanted, they could turn this thing around. Uh, it would just take a couple of years because you could trade Quintana, you could trade Sale, you could trade Todd Frazier. Uh, you know, you can put guys who have value out there and really rebuild the team from the farm like it needs to be. So last one for you. I asked Rick Hahn this a couple of weeks ago, and the the answer was a good one, if, if lengthy, but uh, but well thought out. And I wonder what you think about this kind of prospect. Is there a necessary, if one, then the other kind of transaction this offseason, that if the White Sox were to, as, as Rick has kind of said, go for that more of that full rebuild, that you have to trade both Sale and Quintana in order to make it worth your time? You know, the question was, was posed to me at some point this year. I don't think so necessarily. Mm. I don't. Uh, but you will, I, I mean, you will maximize if you do both. The thing is, the White Sox are a major market team. And major market teams with their revenue should not have to rebuild. They, they just should, mm. they should be able to do what the Yankees have done, which is, offload veterans and offload guys who have trade value, restock the farm system, and still at least play reasonably competitive baseball. There, there is enough there for that, and uh, I, it would be nice to see other organizations take the same tack as New York, which uh, I think has played this thing perfectly. Yeah, it's been remarkable to watch the – I mean, they're almost uh... – They've put themselves in a feel-good category, which is not a place that a lot of people like to find the Yankees often. Yeah, and and you know what? Here's the thing: the the in my mind, the two best farm systems in baseball right now are probably the Dodgers and the Yankees. And you know what? That's exactly where they should be because they have the monetary advantage, and they they've done it the right way. And the rest of baseball, it's it's going to be really bad for and really difficult to go out and beat either of those teams, even if only half of those prospects pan out. Yeah, and both those teams could use some impact frontline pitching that doesn't uh, doesn't get hurt every six weeks, too. I mean, you look at that Dodger outfit, yeah. and that's that's a starter going down every four and a half weeks, I think. Every four and a half? I thought you said every four and a half hours. Yeah, really <laughs> might be. I'm, I mean, seriously, it's been bad there. But, you know, what the Dodgers have, they have depth. 
They've been able to call up uh, Julio Urias and Brock Stewart and Jose De Leon. I mean, those are three guys right there. But on top of that, they've got uh, Chase Young, and they had Grant Holmes, who they went out and traded, and they got Yadier Alvarez, a kid from Cuba who they gave $16 million to last year. I mean, it's just an embarrassment of riches there. And uh, the, you know what? When when a team that's already the richest in baseball has an embarrassment of riches. Uh, you know you're in a bad shape. Yeah, no doubt about it. Jeff, appreciate you chiming in. Really, uh, really glad we were able to connect and and talk about this. The book is the arm. It is absolutely fantastic, and you can find Jeff's stuff on yahoosports.com. Jeff, thanks a ton. Pleasure as always, my Connor. Thanks for having me. You got it, Jeff Passion. Yahoo Sports uh, really worked uh, to to get that done, and uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. The book. I mean, it took him a long time. He follows two. Uh, different pitchers undergoing Tommy John surgery. One of them, Daniel Hudson, a former White Sox before he was traded over the Diamondbacks and went through a ton of his rehab. We are perilously late for a break. Our producer, Don Kleppen, is staring lasers at me through the glass. So I will update you on exactly what we've got planned for the rest of the afternoon in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. WLS AM 890. All right, kind of an unorthodox start for us here on White Sox Weekly, but that's what you've got. I'm Connor McKnight, and we are here until the uh, the 535 mark, at which point we start the pregame festivities for the White Sox and Indians. Nine games left, and in order to finish out the season 500, the White Sox do have to win their last nine games. They were officially eliminated from postseason play with the loss last night, Indians Able to get all over the White Sox with two, four, and four in the fourth, fifth, and sixth innings. We'll talk quite a bit about this team and exactly what the season was and what it will be, I think, coming up in this offseason over the next couple of weeks. That's kind of just the logical place to move on to. Uh, but we've still got baseball left to play, and there are a couple of things that I'm in pretty intrigued about seeing as the last nine games kind of run out. One of those being Chris Sale and exactly how he finishes out his season. Jose Quintana, the same. Uh, pretty intrigued about uh, with Tim Anderson, White Sox rookie shortstop, a guy who is, I mean, he'll get rookie of the year votes. He won't win it in the American League. That whole Gary Sanchez thing that's going on in New York when he hits a home run every third at bat or something, that that's pretty impressive. Uh, Michael Fulmer of the Tigers has been very good all season long in case uh, you're listening and have an American League rookie of the year vote and aren't into the whole Gary Sanchez has played two months of baseball and therefore can't be the rookie of the year thing. I think that's an interesting conversation too. But Tim, Tim Anderson is going to get some votes and he deserves to be, uh, to, to have a calf dopped to him on that, uh, on the ballot. So it, we'll talk to Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago, who's, uh, kind of chronicling Tim's last month or so of the 2016 season. Anderson has, you know, already exceeded in plate appearances the amount of work that he's ever gotten before at any professional level. Uh, you remember that Tim is uh, a guy who came kind of late to baseball, uh, a guy that played really mostly his senior year in high school, kind of dabbled junior year, figured out what the sport was and how he'd be playing it, and then got himself into uh, a junior college and just rocketed up through the ranks into a uh, into a top prospect. So really, this is this is the most baseball he's ever played, and still... Some quality at-bats for Tim. We'll also keep you posted on Adam Eaton. He is not in the lineup for the White Sox this evening. Uh, Eaton smashed into the wall in center field on a fly ball from Indians catcher Roberto Perez last night. 
kind of hit himself in the corner of the of the hip and the shoulder. His left side went into the wall there. Looked like he was out of breath a little bit. Maybe got the wind knocked out of him. He's rolling around on the ground on the warning track there in Cleveland. So we will keep you posted. And if uh, Robin Ventura, he'll likely speak in probably about, well, probably about a half an hour here. Um, we'll bring you that as he will more than likely update the status of the White Sox right fielder and center fielder. Adam Eaton. I uh, want to let you know as well, I think we gave you the phone number. We give you the phone number. We'll give it to you one more time. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to get in touch and talk a little White Sox baseball, uh, you can do the whole Twitter thing too. At C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. Or you can join us for the last regular season home game as the White Sox face the Twins on Sunday, October 2nd. At 2.10 p.m. Remember, for a second straight, they changed all the final games. All the games on that last day, October 2nd, they all start at the same time. So that there's just ridiculous amounts of nonsense. And with the way that the American League wildcard and NL wildcards are all shaping up, October 2nd could be a really exciting day of baseball. Anyway, you can come join us at U.S. Cellular Field for Fan Appreciation Day, October 2nd, 2.10 p.m. first pitch. Hundreds of prizes will be given away throughout the game. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com. All right, we're going to hit the 4 o'clock news. When we come back, we will open the show proper. Dan Hayes going to join us at 4.30. I'm Connor McKnight. you got White Sox Weekly on WLSAM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLSAM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We're going to take you all the way up to 5.30. Then we'll start the pregame show. I'll do that, too. And then we'll get you to Ed and DJ for the first pitch between the White Sox and Indians out at out in Cleveland. I, I always want to call it the Jake. I still want to call it. I know it's not that anymore, but it's still in my head. When I was a very young man, I was what was it, 1997, I think I went to my first game at the Jake. Had some friends and family who lived in Cleveland. They were Indians fans. It's not their fault. Uh, went out there to the Jake, saw a couple of ball games there. Manny Ramirez parked one. It was a ton of fun. Uh, cool place to watch a game. Incidentally, came back, I think, a couple years after that, and Manny was playing in Boston, and uh, and he yoked one in, in U.S. Cellular Field a couple of seats away from me and left. So, you know, it's been a little fun kind of memory, uh, or trip down memory lane, I guess, playing the Indians. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly as we go Kind of back through memory lane with you about this White Sox ball club of 2016. It has had its disappointments. There's no doubt about it. This is a team that, you know, when we started SoxFest back in, uh, boy, all that time ago in the in the dead of winter, there was uh, there was hope and there were uh, conversations um, about this White Sox club having added Brett Laurie, having added Todd Frazier, and with the continued ascension on schedule for Chris Sale and Jose Quintana and Carlos Rodon. I mean, this was ready to be a ball club. This was a ball club that wanted to be right there in the thick of things and competing for an AL Central that looked, you know, competable. And I guess to a large part it has been, or for in a large part it has been, now that American League Central is one that you know, Cleveland has eventually started to put away some 90 wins, 63 losses so far this season. The Tigers are seven and a half back, and their elimination number stands at two, or I guess the... Indians' magic number stands at two, either way you look at it, in the division. Uh, that Tigers team is still in play for a wild-card berth. Kansas City technically in there as well. But, you know, 
with the number of close games that this White Sox club has played, I mean, over and over again, we talk about some of the one-run, some of the two-run games that this team's played and unfortunately not been on the winning side of enough of them to get them over 500, to get them back in the discussion since uh, since such a great start. It's it, it can't help but feel a little bit disappointing. That said, there are a couple interesting things, I think, in the last you know week and a half of the season that you can look to. Uh, that you can kind of find a little bit of enjoyment in. We just had uh, Yahoo Sports national baseball columnist Jeff Passan on the show. In the very first, he was a leadoff hitter on the show because uh, Jeff's got things to do. And when you can put Jeff on the show, you put him on whenever the hell he wants to come on the show. So I asked him. He doesn't have an AL Cy Young award vote. He's voting on some other things, but is going to be writing up, you know, as he does every year, all of his, you know, your end of your awards and who he should be, who he thinks should be winning them. Asked who he thought would be the favorite in the AL Cy Young race, he was loath to pick one. I mean, it's tough. It's a it's a it's a heated battle, and certainly, what's unfortunate is that you know Chris Sale's last start, where the Indians popped him a little bit, that could have been uh, that that well, Phillies, I should say, uh, that that could have been something very different, and that could have been something that propelled him to wow, well, you know, kind of favored status in the Cy Young race, and he still got probably two starts left to do it. Uh, one start against the Tampa Bay Rays, who have not been all that great in offense this year, and one start against the Minnesota Twins, who have in their careers hit Chris Sale fairly well. But you'll be interesting to see with, you know, maybe it'll be the second to last day of the season, so October 1st, Chris Sale on the bump, perhaps pitching for, you know, notoriety in that whole race, perhaps pitching to be a Cy Young favorite. I mean, this is, it's such a tight, it's such a close thing with, you know, Rick Porcello right there. And I mean, heck, you could make arguments for a guy like Justin Verlander if you wanted and got a little crazy. You could go nuts for Zach Britton if you like a reliever winning the Cy Young. I don't like a reliever winning the Cy Young. A lot of people don't like a reliever winning a Cy Young, but. You know, it's it's not so much. It's not because of Zach. I'm sure Zach Britton's a wonderful guy, and it's not because of his talent. He is unhittable. It's just because of the job he does and what the Cy Young is. You know, I, I think that needs to go to a starter. It gives a starter, and it's not even a perception thing. It's it's a value. Starter gives so much more value to a club than a guy who throws what seventy innings, something like that. Uh, Corey Kluber. I I was remiss. I was just kind of reading through some of that. Corey Kluber uh, up there in conversation as well. Jose Quintana is going to get some votes. I don't know how many first place votes he's going to get, but he'll get some votes. So his name will be up there on the ballot. And uh, Cole Hamels could get a couple. Jonathan Bregman, our, uh, our board operator, and executive producer of White Sox Baseball today, uh, joining the conversation. Yeah, Cole Hamels. Masahiro Tanaka leads the American League in ERA, but a couple of numbers there kind of go scurry for him. Uh, fielding independent pitching, you know, the FIP. If you like the FIP, I know you like the FIP. I like a good whip myself, and Chris Sale competes in that category. So does Kluber, though. Anyway, it should be a really fun race to the end, and with two starts left for most of those guys, most of those top front runners, uh, you've still got a chance for you know the, the peaks and valleys of a season to kind of take effect still. You've still got a chance for a couple guys to run out in front. Chris Sale could be that guy with two really good starts. We will have to see. You can join us, though, for Rock and Roll Night and Fireworks Presented by Guaranteed Rate on Saturday, October 1st. Hey, son of a gun, that's uh could be Chris Sale's last start of the season. Saturday, October 1st, as the White Sox host the Twins at 6.10 p.m. 
the first 5,000 fans to enter U.S. Cellular Field will receive a rock and roll nightcap, compliments of guaranteed rate. For tickets, visit whitesocks.com. You know, the, the reads they give don't actually tell me what a rock and roll night. Okay, so it's a rock and roll. It's a rock and roll night cap, not a rock and roll night cap. That would be something very different and probably a 21 and over giveaway. Uh, but the rock and roll night cap makes a lot more sense. You can get them if you come out to the ballgame October 1st for tickets. Visit whitesocks.com. A couple of other things that have interested me as we come down to the final nine games of the season. How Tim Anderson uh, kind of finishes out his year. He's playing more baseball now than he's ever played before. Uh, stamina is absolutely a skill in baseball. And you can improve on it. It's one of the few skills that you can just you, you can get better at with hard work. Uh, and that's something that, that Tim Anderson is looking to prove that he's got enough of. And I, I think so far passing that test, we'll talk with Dan Hayes at CSNChicago.com. We're at about 4.30 or so. He wrote a pretty good piece on Tim uh, just, I think it was the last night. You can check it out on CSN Chicago. Um, you can, or we will also, I want to talk about the other half of that middle infield too as we kind of start to wrap this season, look forward to what the off season's going to bring. Uh, certainly kind of assess any kind of conversations that uh, GM Rick Hahn or Kenny Williams or Robin Ventura have in the last couple of days in the last homestand. Remember, four against Tampa Bay and then three against the Minnesota Twins to end out the 2016 season. Still two against the Indians today and tomorrow. Uh, but I want to talk about that, that second base spot as well with Tyler Saladino, though he was scratched last night with a stiff back, and Brett Laurie figuring into the conversation pretty heavily. Had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with uh, White Sox play-by-play man Jason Benetti about Brett Laurie, and it brought a couple of things to mind that I thought we could talk about here. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. Also, uh, coming up next, before the 430 News, we will bring you the White Sox Week in Review. Uh, and I think if you're lucky, uh, we may hear from Jeff Passan yet again. It was a darn good interview. And because it was right off the top of the show, I, I know not everybody was, was tuned in. So maybe a little closer to game time. We'll re-rack that and work it back. I'm Connor. You have White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We have been uh, talking about the Sox season and wanted to get into kind of the middle of the infield because Dan Hayes of CSNChicago.com is going to join us on the other side of the 430 News, and we'll talk a little bit about Tim Anderson with him. He wrote something about, about, about Tim finishing out the month of September strong, playing having played more baseball than he's ever played before. So I figured I'd handle the second base position with you. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to get in on this. At C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. Tyler Saladino, though he didn't play last night and won't play again this evening. Oh, I, I guess I should give you the quick White Sox lineup here. Tim Anderson's going to bat one, play short. Melky Cabrera batting two and left. Jose Abreu, three, and at first, of course. Uh, Justin Morneau, Todd Frazier, Avi Garcia, DH, third base, right field. Fairly typical stuff there. That's four, five, and six. Seven, eight, and nine are Alex Avila behind the plate, Carlos Sanchez at second base, and Lurie Garcia out in center field. And if I can make a really small digression from where we were headed with Tyler Saladino, Lurie Garcia is a guy who, in spring training, I, I watched him play a little bit of center field out there in Arizona. And I, I will be honest, I don't think he played all that well in center field. It was pretty rough. 
Maybe it was just the days I happened to be there. Maybe it was the fly balls that got out there. Arizona's got that high sky, and things go a mile out there. He has really cleaned up in center field. He has played a lot better just in the four or five games that I've watched him play. Much better looks at balls, much better routes toward baseballs. Uh, I, I'm really impressed with the work that he's seemingly put in uh, during this season and down in AAA Charlotte in center field. That's pretty impressive. And for a guy like Lurie who is going to make you know his MLB rosters, he's going to make his major league rosters based on his positional kind of uh, everyman-ness. I mean, he can play everywhere. He can play second. He can play short. He could probably play a little bit of third if you absolutely had to have him there. And being able to play center field is certainly certainly another step in the right direction in that you know, multifaceted kind of balance. That's pretty impressive. Speaking of you know being multifaceted, I think Tyler Saladino kind of fits that bill a little bit too. He's been a talk, topic of a lot of conversation uh, with reporters, myself and, and Robin Ventura, over the last homestand. Str- home and I think, you know, there's a couple of reasons why. First and foremost, Tyler is just an absolute awesome dude to have in a clubhouse. He is, he's that guy. I mean, he's, he's the guy who kind of balances things out. He's kind of a even, level-headed, relaxed kind of dude who absolutely gets, you know, fired up as anybody else when he wants to go out there, when he goes out there and, and gets on the field. Absolutely a dude you want to have in that clubhouse. And I've talked to some White Sox people who have said the exact same thing. We love Tyler. Now, his versatility position-wise, has been one of the things that Robin Ventura has spoken to as one of his biggest attributes. The fact that Tyler can slide in and played as well as he did at third base last season, it's incredible, especially having not played much third base at all. Guy played first in the minor leagues uh, because the White Sox had a couple of position players that they needed it, you know, to see at third base, to see at short, to see at second, and they kind of figured, okay, Tyler can do all this stuff. Well, we want him playing, so play a little first. He's played outfield before, Hesitant to do that, he did, you know, when he made, when he had the Tommy John go on, it was on a throw from the outfield. Not to say that outfield is the thing that did it to him. Uh, it can, you know, it's it's just kind of one of those things that happens at any point in time. Could have been a throw from second base. Either way, he can play a little outfield too. What's been impressive, obviously, are Tyler Saladino's offensive numbers over the last two months. After having been put in there on pretty much a full-time basis, since Brett Laurie went down with injury. Month of September, he's at 344 with an on-base of 369 and slugged 393. Now, I know those are September numbers and rosters have expanded and there are a lot of pitchers uh, that Terry Francona is using in and out and in and out and in and out and then like three more pitching changes in the fifth uh, that that aren't going to be on Major League rosters next season. And I, I get that the September evaluation is maybe one of the toughest in baseball. It's it's really tough to see if a player's you know succeeding against Major League talents or if this is kind of that 4A level of competition that I know some people think exists and some don't. But, I mean, I think you get kind of the overall shot at that. August, though, the numbers were still pretty darn good for Tyler Saladino. 284 batting average, a 315 on base, and a 455 slug. Those are really good numbers for a second baseman. Sure, you'd like to see a little bit more on base. You have seen it in September, and hopefully when he comes back healthy, he can put a couple of games together here toward the end of the season that just kind of solidify things. Let you know that, yeah, we're all good. And this is a base. This is where this is how Tyler can play, because if he's, and I, and I think the biggest roadblock is in Tyler's, you know, kind of evolution as a ball player is consistent playing time. It's been tough to find for him. 
there were other guys that got slotted in, other guys that were performing and might have performed better had they not gotten hurt, like Brett Laurie, that were keeping Tyler out of a regular gig. And in talking with people, it's fairly understood that that eye at the plate, that ability to that ability to have a high on base percentage, to be dangerous at the plate in both ways, in both you know knowing what you're going to get, understanding a strike zone for yourself. That that's a skill that needs more playing time than anything else. That kind of skill is something that's really tough to knock the rust off of, or at least has the most rust when you do get back in and start playing it. And if you look at you know where Tyler got slotted back into an everyday spot and how you know he's kind of made his run through the last three months or so, you can kind of see a lot of that rust getting knocked off. Tyler could be a really interesting piece. Uh, coming up to, to next season, he's 27 years old. He's in that prime of his career, or what is typically considered age-wise that prime. It should be really interesting to see exactly what happens with Tyler, especially considering uh, where Brett Laurie is health-wise. It's kind of nebulous as to where he's been over the last uh, couple of months, and that's I'm, I'm sure we'll get an update from Rick Hahn as the season wraps up and see where Brett Laurie is, but the White Sox do have control of him for another, I believe it's two seasons, though. Double check on that. Definitely one, might be two. I didn't think that Todd Frazier and he are both gone uh, eligibility or uh, control-wise. Todd Frazier has one year left. I believe Laurie has two. Double check that when we come back. Right now, though, we're going to do that thing that we do every White Sox weekly. Uh, 4.30 News coming up in a little bit, but we always bring you the best of the White Sox over the past week, the week that was, and we'll do that right now here on White Sox Weekly. There's a swing and a high fly ball to the left. Don't know if it's got enough. To the track, Orlando at the wall. It's got enough. A home run by Frazier. Escobar at first. Does not run. And the 1-2. Bouncing ball inside the bag at third. Up with it. Frazier the long throw. Safe at first base. I thought he was out, Darren. Oh, as did I. As did I. There's a swing and a long one to center field. Burns races to the track. He's at the wall. He'll watch it go for a home punt. It just didn't make the fence. It went over everything except the scoreboard and center. And the fence is 4-10. We're even at two. And the 1-1 one, one as Thompson deals it. A swing and a line drive right down the line to the pole. If it's fair, it's got a chance. It's around the pole. Three-run homer. Sox lead, and they lead 3-2 on Cabrera's home run. Around the pole at right. That's his 12. Three balls, two strikes. More no weights with runners in second, third. The 3-2 pitch. He walked him. Base are loaded. What's going on with the wild, wild pitch? pitch? And a runner came in from third. Up to third goes... Uh, Lurie Garcia, so not a bases loaded situation now. And the 0-1, a swing and a high fly ball to right. This is hit well. Going back at the track is a there against the wall. It's gone in the first row for a home run. Swing and a line drive to right. Here comes Eaton. Dives and makes the catch. Now there's the there's catch the, of the game. Yeah, there's the catch of the game. Good job. 0-2, a swing and a long one to left. This is going to clear the fence. Home run for Frazier is 38. Swing and a high fly ball to left. This is hit well, too. Avila got it. Did he get enough to the track? To the wall. He goes into the first row for a home run. Back-to-back they go with Frazier and Avila. One strike pitch high and deep to right field. Chisenhall going back at the track. Home run number 13 for Malky Cabrera. And the Sox lead 2-0 here on the first. WLS EM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. Joining us now on the show is the White Sox beat writer for CSNChicago.com, Dan Hayes. Hi, Dan. 
Hey, what's up, Connor? How are you Not doing? much, man. Not much. Appreciate you joining the show. Uh, you can follow Dan on Twitter, at CSN Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. And, Dan, I want to get into the, uh, the piece you wrote about Tim Anderson and finishing out a season, having played more baseball than he's ever played before. But Pitch Talks was in Chicago last Thursday, and I'm told that you are a... Uh, a keynote speaker, the the, the lecturer emeritus. <laughs> the uh, how how what exactly were you were you called there? Uh, yeah, I was just on a panel of local <laughs> writers. So you know, I mean, of course, they were like, "We'd love for you to come and do the keynote," but I said, "No, no, no, no. You got to spread it out, spread sure. the wealth." So we did a panel, but no, it was a lot of fun. It, it was uh, it was a little bit of everything. There were some national guys. Dave Cameron from Fangraphs was in there. There were a couple other Fangraphs guys. Jonah Carey was in there. Uh, people from 538, um, they were the first panel, and then the Chicago panel was second, and then they went with the uh, broadcaster panel at the end with uh, Jason Benetti and Len Casper and Jonah Carey, and it was a really good evening all around. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, numbers talk, but at the same time, I think it was mostly, there were a lot of questions from fans um, asking about their te- their favorite teams and stuff like that, and it was kind of cool to just get a chance to connect people and talk about what what's going on both sides of town. Will there be uh, are you going to do a write up on that at all? Are you going to do any kind of uh, reflection on the uh, on the night? Uh, you know what? We got 9 games to go in the baseball season. So I would say negatory on that. <laughs> um, you know, but <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun and I would definitely do something like that again. There were it was it was really good topics throughout the uh, throughout the fans and and obviously the moderators John Greenberg uh, moderated ours and we had a fun talk about who the biggest surprises were good and bad in town and how the how the cubs might do uh, in the postseason and you know fixing the white Sox stuff like that it was it was all over and it was a lot of fun that's awesome that's absolutely awesome uh pitch talks is the name of the outfit that put this thing on pitchtalksbaseball.com and uh jonah Carey does a great job organizing all this stuff looked like a blast uh, hopefully there's an off-season one that we can all get ourselves to. Uh, Dan, wanted to bring up your piece on Tim Anderson that was just published, what, this afternoon, I think? Yeah, absolutely. On CSNChicago.com. I didn't realize until I read it, or at least I, I did, but I didn't put the number uh, to exactly what it uh, to to exactly the performance, uh, he's already Tim Anderson has already hit 96 more times than he had in all of 2015, and he's still got nine games to play. You right. talked to the White Sox shortstop about holding up throughout the month of September. How's he feeling? He's doing all right. Uh, you know, you can tell it was it was good for him to get the off day. He had sat out one game earlier in the month. I think it was September second. And that, I can't remember if that was actually because he got dinged up the night before. I think it but, was. Yeah, he got hit on the yeah, calf with a with a liner, that's right? Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And and beyond that, you know, they'd had two off days Thursday and and September eighth. And you know, when you're talking about all those at bats piling up, and and you said the 550 last year in, in 2015. Beyond that, he'd never had anything more than I think 364 plate appearances. So. We're talking about a kid that's ramped it up and almost doubled his plate appearances in a span of two years. And that kind of stuff catches up. I mean, Robin Ventura was just talking about it with his regular guys who were, had been around for a long time and how that off day on Thursday was going to be a big deal. And how the off day missed on Monday with the makeup from the Royals game yeah. was a big deal, too. You know, guys get tired. And you can only imagine that's tenfold for a kid who's experiencing it for the first time. And and, and he's doing well with it. And, and he, he basically did nothing on Thursday. His uh, his cousin plays for the Cleveland Browns um, and, and is a fullback there and, and Malcolm Johnson and he went over and hung out with him all day and just basically hung out at the house and, and 
stayed as low key as possible just because he is learning how to manage it. He has to figure out when to, you know, one, you, you always in these cases want to guard against fatigue leading to an injury. And, and that's one thing that they've really worked with him on is, hey, you know, if you need something, a, a breather, let us know. And, you know, he's going to be a guy that's always going to hold up well. Uh, he's, you know, physically as, as fit as the, anybody in there is lean. It's not like he's carrying a lot of extra muscle that, that would be, you know, he's not, he doesn't have 40 extra pounds on him that, that, you know, you wonder, does that drag on a guy? I mean, he's, he's about in as good a shape as you can be. And I think that really does help him endure. Um, but his numbers have struggled a little bit. And even last night, you know, he went two for four. There was a play on a ball up the middle that, you know, maybe a fresh Tim Anderson gets to it. And I, I think he's got to kind of figure out how to put this all together so that next year he, he's better in September. And Jose Brady went through the same thing in his first season. I remember him talking about how much his hands hurt at the end of the year because he was just so tired. The season, going from 90 games a year in Cuba to 162-game schedule, caught up with him really quickly that year. And yet he still was fantastic down the stretch, just didn't hit for power. But everybody going for the first time learns a lot. And, and I think Tim Anderson's experiencing that right now. Yeah, talk with Dan Hayes of CSNChicago.com. You're, you're totally right. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, you know, okay, 96 more plate appearances, but you alluded to it. That, that also means he's out in the field, you know, for Absolutely. those extra 96 innings, you know, if the, if the correlation is, if the ratio is one to one. So that's, it's a lot of extra work for a young man. And I think, you know, when we talk, I think the NBA kind of comes to mind more than anything else. You know, you talk about a guy that goes from that senior season or freshman season in college basketball to an NBA weightlifting program. And then those strength and conditioning guys, just like they cannot wait to get their hands on that kid and be like, all right, yeah, that first, I mean, think about LeBron James after going through just a whole season, a full year and a half of actual NBA kind of weightlifting. The transition is similar in baseball, but it's different in that, you know, the players got to learn what he needs to do in the offseason to last. It's not so much a, a gaining of weight or muscle or mass. Right, absolutely. And then uh, I was talking to Alan Thomas a little bit about that today, just following up on it. And They're not going to do a whole lot of difference in his, his uh, offseason regimen. They may have him do a little bit more flexibility stuff, Sure, but that's about it. I, they, you know, that's the one advantage of having him in, in spring. And, and Tim's a, a guy that has really wanted to soak up as much as he can the last couple of years, so you get the sense that came into spring training and, and wanted to talk to everybody about what he should be doing. And probably is, you know, a lot of times when guys are new to the team, they have to talk to the strength and conditioning and get on the same page and start up from scratch. Well, they've had a couple of years here, and it's obvious that Anderson's done a lot of things that Alan Thomas talked to him about. And, and it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot more to do other than just go through this and, and get used to it. And, uh, you know, that, that extra month. And you're talking about with the, the basketball wall. I, I remember that very much, just seeing guys, they're great for their first 30 games, and then that, that's the end of that college season. <laughs> Those last 50 are a drag. And, I mean, when you talk about September it being an entirely new month, I know that Tim's played in the, uh, in the fall league before, but that's with five weeks off, having gone home or maybe going to instructional week for, or instructional camp for a week. But, I mean, there's nothing that can replicate going out there 162 times. And that's what he's going to end up doing. He's on pace for, I think, 152 games. And, and that's a, a big jump from last year. And I'm guessing he ends up with the 680 plate appearances. So 130 more plate appearances and, and all those extra innings. It really does add up. And, and the fact that he's 
still hung on as well as he can. Says a lot about him. I mean, the OPS is around 650 this month. That's not his lowest month, but it's his second lowest month. But you could still see him get a little burst out of that extra day off yesterday. And and I think he's figured it out that, hey, rest when you can. And, you know, day game after a night game, just try to kind of get as much time in between as you can and, and, and go home and rest. And, you know, he's figuring it out and he's doing a good job with it. Dan, what do you think, zooming out just a little bit here, as we kind of uh, you know approach the season, the Sox were knocked out of the playoffs officially uh, last night, so it'll be eight straight years. I wonder, I wonder what this offseason looks like for you. And in terms of you know things that you can count on, I mean, I would imagine that the growth of, of Tim Anderson, the growth of Carlos Rodon, the growth of a couple other ballplayers on this roster are certainly you know nice things to kind of put in your pocket and take with you during the offseason, and yet... There are so much bigger moves that could be on the horizon for this club. Absolutely. And and you wonder what they're going to find when they get to the uh, trade market, whether it's enticing enough to make a move or not, or if it's the opposite is there where they think they can get the pieces they need. I mean, you look at it right now, and, and realistically, I think to compete, they they need a catch, an everyday catcher. I like Omar Narvaez as a, as a backup. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they've had struggles with that for a long time. And, you know, Tyler Flowers never quite settled in offensively. Defensively and, you know, pitch calling and, and comfort with the pitchers, he was definitely there. And on the framing end, he was very good. But at the same time, they, they haven't had a solution since A.J. Pierzynski. They need to find something. I think if you can find the catcher, and that might be one of the areas where there are some answers in free agency, um, you know, it could change the way that they go about this. But at the same time, maybe they get to that trade market and they find out, man, people are really willing to pay us a ton for a Jose Quintana or a Chris Sale. Maybe they can answer some of their questions. Maybe there's a team like a Boston that can get them a center fielder and a catcher if they were to make a trade, and they're not as far away rebuilding. It, it just, I mean, there's such a world of possibilities because you think if they dug in really deep and traded four or five of their guys, you'll probably get 17 to 20 prospects back, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to, to see that. Um, but at the same time, there's a there's a big group that doesn't want to see it. And you, you look at how they have so many of the big pieces. The depth really killed them this year. You look at it across the board. It started with LaRoche retiring, and then you get some of the injuries across the board. Just things they weren't able to uh, – they, they couldn't solve easily. They did everything they could. I mean, you go out and you bring in James Shields. You find Justin Morneau. You, uh, you acquire Jimmy Rollins at the end of – or right there at spring training. You acquire Austin Jackson. And you try to fill in, and, and it's tough to do that on an annual basis. So, uh, you know, what direction they go, it could be really intriguing because there are so many possibilities, and, and you know, it, it could be very interesting any way they do it. When you look back at Todd Frazier's season, he's hit a White Sox record in home runs for a third baseman at 38. Yet, you know, there have been some other numbers that, uh, that just kind of weren't there for Todd this year. How do you... How do you evaluate a season like that? Well, I think that next year he improves a little bit just from knowledge of how people are going to attack him. I mean, that part had to be eye-opening. And, you know, this is a tough division as far as the pitching goes. You look and there's really no – Minnesota is the only easy team when it comes to that. And there aren't a lot of left-handers either. No, exactly. I mean, the Sox have them all. Yeah, they do. You're right. And, and so – I think it was a big year in that aspect for him. We haven't seen the run scoring or the uh, batters with the sorry runners with scoring position with him at all. That 
He's struggled there. The doubles have been down. The only things that he's done really well are the power and the defense. And I think that, you know, for the first year, that's good. Um, there needs to be more growth from him in that middle, especially with runners in scoring position. They need him to be more of a run-producing threat. But I think that Jose Abreu being himself and a left-handed batter in there to break things up would help a ton, too. I think that would be just as critical if it's Justin Morneau coming back, something along that line. Adding those guys in has done a lot for him. I mean, it takes a lot of pressure off him, and he's just a run producer where, you know, you get to the point where teams know they have maybe one shot to win a game, and sometimes that, that gets to teams. I covered the Padres for a long time where you just knew there weren't going to be a lot of runs scored, and, and their guys didn't handle the run scoring producing situations as well, um, knowing that there was just that one shot. They put a lot of pressure on themselves. I think he's a guy that, if you just look at him, let him go and play. And I think this offense has been so much better with Abreu going full tilt the last yeah. almost two weeks or two months here that you, you get that going and, and the offense can be better. Frazier will be better with runners in scoring position. You know, the power is going to be there. And the glove is it's way better than what they've had. It's not maybe elite, but it's still very good over there at third base. And I think you get that combo, and, and that's a good thing to build around. Dan, appreciate you hopping on. As always, always good talking baseball with you. We'll see you when the Sox come back into town. All right, thanks, Connor. Have it. Dan Hayes, CSNChicago.com. You can follow him on Twitter at CSN Hayes, and his latest piece is up at CSNChicago.com. A little bit of writing. We talked a lot about it, but a little bit of writing on Tim Anderson and finishing out the uh, the September grind that is uh, that is the end of the 2016 baseball season. Remarkable that he, I mean, you almost forget, he's played 90 games already this season uh, and came up on June 10th. I mean, that's that's everyday kind of work. I mean, there was probably like, what, a week and a half where it was him and Jimmy and him and Tyler a little bit. And then it was just, then it was Tim. It was Tim playing baseball. It's been fun to watch. And I, you know, I, I think... Two, there were a couple of games in the last uh, last week and a half or so where Tim actually had a chance to open it up and go first to third or or go second to home. And it's just, it's just, I know I laugh about this all the time. It is just remarkable how stupid fast he is, how absolutely ridiculously fast he is. And he's got a bunch of other skills too. That's the fun part is, yeah, the wheels are there, but he's not Terrence Gore. I mean, he's not that fast, but he can actually hit you know, it's, it's it's been a lot of fun to watch. Peace to have for uh, for quite some time for the White Sox. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. We'll uh, step to a quick break. we got the 5 o'clock news in a little while. Jeff Passan going to be on the show from Yahoo Sports in just a minute, too. I'm Connor McKnight. You have White Sox Weekly on WLS AMA 90. WLS AMA 90. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Here on WLS AM 890. we got the 5 o'clock news coming up at, well, you know, 5 o'clock. Uh, Robin Ventura, the White Sox manager, talking with reporters in the last uh, 20, 25 minutes or so. Wanted to bring that to you. Conversation started out talking about Adam Eaton, who crashed into the wall in center field. Left hip, left shoulder first. Was down there on the warning track for a little while. Looked like he had had the wind knocked out of him and... Uh, would had to be helped off the field, walking off, but you know, you know, with the weight on other people's shoulders and not so much his own legs. So, here's Robin on Eaton and a couple other things from this afternoon. That moving real well. Looks a little bit. Of, is there a chance he may not? This 
you could shut him down for the last week here? Uh, it's it's possible. I'm, I don't think he's that bad, but uh, Back so, right? I, I know he's not going to play tomorrow, uh, today or tomorrow, just by the way he's feeling. Adam, you know, is pretty much the same way. Uh, you know, he, he's still sore enough that he, he's not going to play tonight. Better chance he's probably not going to even play tomorrow. Um, I, I just, you know, it's not uh, anything that you, you feel like you need to shut him down, like the announcer going to shut him down. Right. But he's banged up enough to where, you know, it's better for him to maybe get reevaluated. You know, Monday, everybody look at him and, uh, you know, make sure he's good. Back for Tyler still? Yeah. Yeah, this is back. And, you know, just the way he's walking around, you can just tell it's, it's bothering him. So, um, it, until we can get home and have a look at it, it's probably not going that first year, he went all out on everything. To the point where you guys had to say to him, stop. Has he found that right mix of to going after it? Yeah, yeah, I, I think he has. You know, he's been a lot better at being able to go. He would run after balls that were probably 10 rows deep, too. And this at least, you know, he could at least put a glove on it and, uh, you know, had a chance to catch it. But, you know, I think before he was just out there running crazy. Right now, he has a better understanding of what he can get to. Uh, you know, and then last night's just a great play that ends up, you know, that he runs into the wall and, and uh, gets himself banged up somewhat. But it wasn't out of just going after it and not having a chance to get it. Still to get on one where he races the wall from that 10 rows up in right center field. Yeah, that, that's not a good one. That's not a good one to get hurt on. So, you know, for him, he's at least toned it down to where he's going out. So, yeah. You can see it on the bases, too, right? Like, running out ground balls, they had no chance to get out unless there was a... Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's just a better understanding of how to go through the season. You know, he's fast, he plays hard. Um, you know, there, there, there's times... There's times when you don't have to do that. And I think he's learned how to at least, you know, put the governor on when he needs to. There's been a, a few of them, but you know, when you start looking at what he does, being able to play both right and center field, he's played a great right field, but you know, we've got a need out there for, for him in center as well. Uh, you know, he's been pretty dang valuable. He's well, it's been his consistency. You know, I think you take out that last one that was uh, wasn't one of his best, but he's just always been consistent. Whether it's his, uh, you know, his performance or just his attitude or how he comes in every day, and knowing the circumstances that we haven't scored a lot of runs for him, I think that's the most impressive. Is this. he's upbeat, he's positive, it never changes. That's the manager, Robin Ventura. So uh could be a little bit of time before Adam Eaton gets back into the lineup. We'll hear some of that again and go through it in the pregame show. That starts at 535. We'll get from, uh, we'll hear rather again from Jeff Passan right after the 5 o'clock news. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and you White Sox fans can celebrate your culture with Hispanic Heritage Night on September 30th. It's presented by Miller Lite. There will be Latin music and dancing, special activities for kids, an on-field parade, and a post-game fireworks show 
It's not just a good time. It's Miller time. Miller Lite, official beer of your Chicago White Sox. To purchase tickets, uh, and they start as low as $10. To purchase, visit whitesox.com slash NHH. That's whitesox.com slash NHH. All right, uh, earlier on the show, in fact, the very first thing we did was talk to Yahoo Baseball columnist Jeff Passan. He is also the author of a book called The Arm. Inside the Billion Dollar Mystery of the Most Valuable Commodity in Sports. I've read it. It's fantastic. It goes through pitching mechanics, Tommy John surgery, and exactly what it is. A huge, huge piece of the game right now. Velocities have never been higher. Elbow injuries are not the automatic fix that they look like from the outside in. And this gives you the inside look as to what it is and what the industry, what baseball itself is trying to do to combat something that's bringing down pitchers left and right. Uh, we had a chance to talk with him, talked a lot about Chris Sale as well and the White Sox offseason plans and a little bit about the AL Cy Young, too. I wanted to bring it back to you since it was so early on in the show and we, uh, you know, with college football going on and stuff like that, we figured we'd bring it back to you as you get yourself back set for baseball this evening. I wanted to start with Jeff Pass and Warwell Wells uh, about the book. So I want to get into uh, into the book. This is absolutely fantastic stuff. It's called The Arm, Inside the Billion Dollar Mystery of the Most Valuable Commodity in Sports. There are cameos from a number of different, uh, actually, Chicago White Sox references kind of in and out. There are, well, really references to a bunch of pitchers throughout the game, and I think we'll probably connect Chris Sale to this book in a little bit. But I want to recommend it to those people who are uh, unfortunately not going to be watching enough playoff baseball for them. If you need to scratch the baseball itch, so to speak. It's a great book to pick up. It can be read on one four-hour drive from Appleton to Chicago, as my dad did. Uh, it's really great. Congratulations on it. Your dad is a quick reader. He's insane. Yeah. He's absolutely – well, Mom was driving the most of the way, so it wasn't as unsafe as it sounds. I, I mean, that's still like – that is a – like, this is not – a, a, a book that's this isn't a pamphlet. Oh, I know, I, mean, I know. Like a, it's like three hundred sixty pages strong. This is a man who's buried through a John Adams biography in uh, I don't know less than two and a half. He's kind of insane. All right. Well, the, your dad is obviously uh, uh, a talented human being. Sure. And, and you and and we ended up in the media. So what does that say? It says exactly what we thought it would say. Uh, when we talk about when I've talked about this book with friends, mechanics and injuries to pitchers and how to prevent them comes up more often than not. And I think uh, maybe the most interesting thing is some of the kind of the preconceived notions that it's busted, maybe about things like the the inverted W, about things we thought that were unhealthy that may not be as unhealthy as we thought before. Yeah, I mean, if we look at the inverted W, and that is a phrase that I I loathe to begin with because it's an M. First, first off, it's an M. Second off, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, essentially, the whole point of of the inverted W is that a pitcher's arms are turned down uh, and they make an M shape, and this can be a bad thing if if the timing is off for the pitcher and uh, if it puts extra stress and strain on his elbow, but uh, it's also a bit of an optical illusion because the arms are moving so extremely fast that what it looks like one, one fraction of a second, I'm talking 0.001, uh, it's going to look differently the next fraction. And 
sometimes you just look at snapshots and they're not indicative of a whole lot. I mean, Chris Sale for years, mm-hmm. uh, if, if you see pictures of him, he's got about as ugly as an inverted W as anybody out there. And yet he has managed to stay healthy. And he's done so with a delivery that, that looks to our naked eyes uh, as violent as it gets. One of the things I thought to talk with Jeff Passenier, author of The Arm and columnist for Yahoo Sports, uh, writing baseball. One of the things that stuck out to me is kind of this, I wouldn't call it a kind of tangent that, that the book went on for just a minute or two about about your mechanics and what works for you. Your proper mechanical motion is the one that makes you pitch the best or or, or feels right to you. And I wonder if that's something that's more and more a starting point for young pitchers. Well, I, I'd love to say that there's perfect mechanics out there that's going to keep you healthy. There there might be. You know, for all we know, mm-hmm. it's lurking out there. But at this point, when we don't know and don't know how to achieve that, the best you can do is to throw the way that keeps you healthy. And I know that's easy to say because, well, when, you know, who knows when they're going to break down, but – the fact is, you know when your arm does hurt when you're throwing the ball, and you know what too much or too little is, and so it has to be that middle calibration uh, that I think we're able to do so much better now than we were uh, even a couple of years ago. One of the things that that's been most fascinating to me through this White Sox season has been watching Chris Sale pitch, and it's not so much about the mechanics of Sale this season. It's the idea of him pitching with this, what Don Cooper and he have kind of termed this hybrid approach, or at least that's the name they slapped on it so they don't have to keep going back and forth about it with uh, with us. This hybrid approach lets Chris throw to lower velocities. He says it. he's, he's feeling a bit better and stronger, deeper into ball games. The pitch numbers, like the total counts of pitches thrown for Chris last year and this year are, are virtually identical, albeit he's thrown more innings this year so far. Does that does being able to back off of a hundred percent of max effort mean anything to the health of a pitcher throughout the course of a season? Um, I, you know, I think it can. I uh, and I I advocate for something like that. Frankly, Chris Sale's also uh, a very similar pitcher, though, to what he was back in two thousand twelve. Then compared where he was last year, the fastball velocity in 12 was down. I believe that was his first full season as a starter. Mm -hmm. Um, Fastball velocity was down. Uh, He threw a lot of sliders, uh, you know, about a quarter of his pitches, and about, you know, filled in the rest, about 15% with change-ups. And it's a very similar pitch split. Now he's throwing the change-up harder. He's throwing the slider about the same speed, and he's throwing the fastball at about a mile or so uh, per hour harder. But it, it is a definitely a different pitcher and when you've had as much success as he has you don't want to screw with what's working but at the same time you want to do the best you can to ensure your long-term success and if he believes that taking a little bit off uh is going to do that then uh you gotta leave it up to the pitcher because he knows his arm better than any of us uh know it Will you be uh, will you be voting in uh, in the Cy Young competition, the Cy Young balloting? I do not have a Cy Young. Vote. Really, and I'm very and I'm very glad I don't because I probably would send it in blank because no one deserves it this year. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you're not on the uh, you're not on the Zach Britton train. You're not. Uh... I am. I am. I am far from the Zach Britton train. I'm sorry. I think Zach Britton. If you give him a fifth place vote, uh, I can. Like I can be down with that, but uh, I'd say if today, gun to my head. Mm-hmm. That's what we're gonna do here on the show. Oh God, this is so painful. Um, I'd probably go Porcello, but okay. you can, but but you can you can make just as good an argument for Kluber and Sale. I think it's I think it's those three. Like that, that, that I'm fairly, fairly certain about that. Those are the top three right there. And I, I honestly, like, I'm not doing my awards until like a week from this Monday. So, uh, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't broken it down completely yet, but I am planning on doing so and, and giving it a good deep dive. What? Uh, I mean, the thing, the thing that Sale has going most for him in his favor is, is obviously the strikeout to walk ratio, sure. and the fact that, in the fact that he has uh, some of the worst framing catchers uh, since we understood what pitch framing is. Like, he- the guys standing behind the play for him are absolutely terrible. It has been uh, it has been a tough departure from from a guy like Tyler Flowers, who wasn't even mm-hmm. I don't know that you'd necessarily say elite for Tyler. I've read I've read kind of both on, on both sides, not of the you know elite and terrible side, but just of the elite and pretty good to where to where White Sox catchers Deion Navarro for a little while had been with Chris Sale. You know, that said, you know, talking in a little bit to the offseason uh, with, with Sale and Jose Quintana, theoretically, possibly anything on the table were the words that uh, the Rick Hahn has used. What are the, the prospects? What are your expectations for, an, for a White Sox offseason coming up in just a couple of weeks here? Tyler Flowers, by the way, is elite. And Alex Avila and Deanna Navarro are like bottom 10 in all of baseball. Right. So both, both of them together are, are really bad. Uh, as far as this off season goes, I, you know, I have almost stopped trying to predict what the White Sox are going to do because I, I don't know if they know what they're going to do. A lot, a lot of it depends on how robust the market for one of the pitchers gets. And they know they're going to get more back for sale than they would Quintana. But a lot of teams out there absolutely love Jose Quintana and think he is so steady and and so consistent and so good that uh, they recognize they're going to have to give up, if not 100% as much sale, then probably 90% on the dollar. And that is still a massive pay. Uh, it, but you know what? If a team wants a frontline starting pitcher – it ain't going to find it on the free agent market. That much can be said for sure. Yeah. So, it, it. I mean, if if your idea of frontline guy is Rich Hill, you know, hey, go do you. Uh, but I think most teams look at a 36-year-old who's thrown over 100 innings twice in his entire career and say, red flag, red flag, what am I going to do here? And that's where the trade market comes into play and where if the White Sox really wanted, they could turn this thing around uh, it would just take a couple of years because you could trade Quintana, you could trade Sale, you could trade Todd Frazier. Uh, you know, you can put guys who have value out there and 
really rebuild this team from the farm like it needs to be. So last one for you. I asked Rick Hahn this a couple of weeks ago, and the the answer was a good one if, if lengthy, but uh, but well thought out. And I wonder what you think about this kind of prospect. Is there a necessary if one, then the other kind of transaction this offseason that if the White Sox were to, as, as Rick has kind of said, go for that more of that full rebuild, that you have to trade both Sale and Quintana in order to make it worth your time? Yeah, the question was was posed to me at some point this year. I don't think so necessarily. Mm. I don't. Uh, but you will. I, I mean, you will maximize if you do both. The thing is, the White Sox are a major market team, and major market teams with their revenue should not have to rebuild. They they just should. Mm. They should be able to do what the Yankees have done, which is offload veterans and offload guys who have trade value, restock the farm system, and still at least play reasonably competitive baseball. There, there is enough there for that, and uh, I, it would be nice to see other organizations take the same tack as New York, which uh, I think has played this thing perfectly. It's been remarkable to watch the Yankees. I mean, they're almost uh... – They've put themselves in a feel-good category, which is not a place that a lot of people like to find the Yankees often. Yeah, and, and you know what? Here's the thing. The, the, in my mind, the two best farm systems in baseball right now are probably the Dodgers and the Yankees. And you know what? That's exactly where they should be because they have the monetary advantage and they, they've done it the right way. And the rest of baseball, it's, it's going to be really bad for and really difficult to go out and beat either of those teams, even if only half of those prospects pan out. Yeah, and both those teams could use some impact frontline pitching that doesn't uh, doesn't get hurt every six weeks, too. I mean, you look at that Dodger outfit, yeah. and that's that's a starter going down every four and a half weeks, I think. Every four and a half? I thought you said every four and a half hours. Yeah, really I might think, be. I mean, seriously, it's been bad there. But, you know, what the Dodgers have, they have depth. They've been able to call up uh, Julio Urias and Brock Stewart and Jose De Leon. I mean, those are three guys right there. But on top of that, they've got uh, Chase Young, and they had Grant Holmes, who they went out and traded, and they got Yadier Alvarez, a kid from Cuba who they gave $16 million to last year. I mean, it's just an embarrassment of riches there. And uh, the, you know what? When When a team that's already the richest in baseball has an embarrassment of riches, uh, you know you're in bad shape. Yeah, no doubt about it. Jeff, appreciate you chiming in. Really, uh, really glad we were able to connect and and talk about this. The book is the arm. It is absolutely fantastic, and you can find Jeff's stuff on yahoosports.com. Jeff, thanks a ton. Pleasure as always, Mike Connor. Thanks for having me. That is Jeff Passan, Yahoo Sports. The most popular way to follow White Sox baseballs with MLB.com at bat, the number one app for live baseball. You can enjoy live look-ins, highlights, game days, scores, stat cast, live radio broadcasts, and more. Get MLB.com at bat on your favorite devices. Now, come back with, uh, with a couple of pieces of news and notes here on White Sox Weekly, WLS AM 890. WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLSAM 890. Apparently, things are getting pretty cool down at U.S. Cellular Field. It's uh, Chance the Rapper's Magnificent Coloring Day down at the ballpark. Ridiculous amounts of talent down there. Chance and John Legend. I was just kind of scrolling through Twitter to see everybody who's come out there already. Apparently, uh, this is... 
This is Ultra Light Beam off uh, Kanye's latest, The uh, Life of Pablo. And apparently Chance brought Kanye down there to, uh, to perform. Kanye wasn't on the bill. Just kind of surprise. Come on down, Kanye. No big deal. I have some friends who are out there. Apparently it's a fantastic time. A magnificent coloring day, as it were, and, uh, and a pretty cool concert out there at U.S. Cellular Field. White Sox are going to do their business in Cleveland this evening. Jose Quintana is on the mound against Cody Anderson and the Indians. I think we mentioned to you that uh, that Adam Eaton is not in the lineup. Questions were asked to um, manager Robin Ventura a little bit earlier this afternoon, and we'll bring it to you in about 10 minutes here on the White Sox pregame show. Uh, the latest on Adam, he ran into the center field wall pretty good. He's going to sit out today and more than likely out tomorrow too. White Sox come back home on Monday, seven straight before the end of the season. So, uh, unfortunately, Adam Eaton, who has been their most consistent and perhaps best offensive player throughout the entirety of the season, may miss a handful of ball games toward the end of the stretch here. So, uh, most importantly, that you know he get healthy and stuff and don't rush back. You need to have him for next year um, and need him uh, healthy, hundred percent, and ready to go. That said, uh, just a nine games left for the White Sox this year, and I think. You know, we'll get into the offseason plan and exactly what's going to go on with these White Sox next next week. It'll be October 1st when White Sox Weekly is next on. So second to last game of the year, October 2nd, of course. Everyone's playing at 2.10 Central Time. Uh, another, uh, I, I guess that was the last decision Bud Selig made to kind of fix things up with the wild card. Just a ridiculous amount of baseball all at the same time with wild card races crashing to an end. Could be a ton of fun on that day to kind of see how the races all end up. And we'll be talking about where the White Sox may end up during the course of the offseason. I'm sure Rick Hahn, the general manager of the club, will talk to reporters and uh, and therefore White Sox fans in just a little bit here. And we'll have the latest for you on White Sox Weekly. You can, though, join the White Sox Bags Tournament October 1st at U.S. Cellular Field. Grab a partner out to our tournament and see if you can win the whole darn thing and take home a cash prize. For more information and to purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash bags. That does it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for tuning in and calling, listening, and tweeting. Uh, if you are at Magnificent Coloring Day, you can now return to your Magnificent Coloring Day. It's so nice of you to have White Sox Weekly on at the ballpark, but now you should start listening to the music. Uh, our thanks to Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports who came on the show Dan Hayes, CSN Chicago. Thanks to Don Kleppen and Jonathan Bregman. And Phil, too. Thanks to Phil. Uh, we will be back with pregame coverage of the White Sox and Indians in just a couple minutes. So keep it right here on WLS AM 890.